We are back. Let's do a little item that combines a little bit of science and a little bit of politics. The fact that, uh, as noted in the Sacramento Bee on the in April 28th, the San Joaquin Valley now tops the list for the nation's worst smog. Yes, you heard that correctly. We're talking about the worst air in the United States. I, I'm somewhat taken aback by this. I didn't realize it was quite that bad. But according to the American Lung Association, the air in Bakersfield and in smaller towns down in the San Joaquin Valley, such as Arvin, and in the virtually unpopulated foothills of the Sequoia National Park, the air is unhealthier than in metropolitan Los Angeles. Under the federal government's ranking system, the San Joaquin Valley had the dirtiest air in the country from 1999 through 2004. Now here in the greater Sacramento metropolitan area, we do get some Delta breeze, which comes in and you know swoops past Vacaville, up into Dixon, past Davis, uh, and hits Sacramento, cleans out our air a little bit. Yet the Sacramento area continues to rank among the ten most persistently smoggy regions in the United States. It places eighth. And of course, what blows my mind is that uh, in the San Joaquin Valley, who's being fingered for this? Dairy cows. No, it isn't the fact that the areas like uh, like Modesto are, are growing like a weed. It's, uh, it's the fact that there's uh, burps and farts coming out of dairy cattle that some people are blaming for the problem. Yes, according to the article, the flatulence from both ends of these dairy cattle produces more volatile organic gases than are generated by cars, trucks, or pesticides. Almost 20 pounds from every cow each year, according to the Valley Air District. I don't know. I don't know about you folks, but I, I just have a really hard time pinning the dirty air in the San Joaquin Valley on dairy cattle. Look at what is going on in the development of of Manteca, of Stockton, of what Tracy looks like now compared to what Tracy looks like 20 years ago. Richard Pombo, local congressman in the Tracy area, has profited immensely from his uh, real estate holdings and real estate dealings by turning this into a bedroom community for the Bay Area. It's going on, it's raging on like a wild fire in spite of the fact that that valley, the San Joaquin Valley, the area south of Sacramento, has the worst smog in the United States. This is crazy. We're going to try and bring on some local uh, air specialists uh, in the weeks to come to, to look into this. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I believe undoubtedly that there are some, you know, uh, toxic emissions coming from dairy farms. But I just can't believe, you know, that the area down there by Bakersfield is experiencing really horrible air from the dairy farms further north in the valley. It just doesn't smell right, so to speak. All right, and since last week's program, we also have a bit of follow-up on uh, on the GOP battles with uh, criticism, specifically that of Stephen Colbert, the Comedy Central performer whose appearance at the recent White House Correspondents' Dinner ignited some media chatter. Now, we reported last week that what was striking about his appearance was how little it was being talked about. It did manage to make the back talk section of the Sacramento Bee last Sunday. And, um, and the blogs, of course, have been alive with the story. You can go onto the web and find the, um, the video of this. If you go to, I believe it's the a- Mr. McMillan, the ABC website, it is the YOU. TUBE.com website that has actually you can see the camera train on Bush on his face as Colbert is going through this routine. He's not a happy president. 
Uh, anyway, yeah, we would refer you to that again if you haven't seen that. It is worth seeing. It, it isn't always funny, but he's certainly delivering things that President Bush needs to hear from standing 10 feet away. This really took some cojones on his part, even if he wasn't always being funny. But I do say that when he does the audition part, uh, there are some genuine belly laughs in it. So, dear listener, if you haven't uh, checked it out, we uh, think you should go out uh, between now and next show and do so. And, and while you're at it, send us an email at info at radioparallax.com. This might be a good point to mention that the views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California, uh, no matter how completely spot on they may be. Now, of course, the uh, the Republicans have been running the show here for quite some time. They took both houses of Congress in 1994, and they've had the White House since 2000. Uh, but people seem to be very unhappy with the current regime. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the the good news is that I think that people are um, are unhappy and they're looking for change. The bad news is the alternative for change appears to be the Democratic Party. Although the latest New York Times-CBS News polls show that Americans have a bleaker view of the country's direction than at any time in more than two decades, uh, people are just not excited about the alternatives. According to James Carville and Paul Begala, two of the architects of Bill Clinton's winning presidential campaign in 1992, quote, It's not that people know what we stand for and disagree. It's that they have no idea what we stand for. This prompted the junior senator from Illinois, Barack Obama, who is considered one of the Democrats' most admired politicians, to make a joke out of it, saying, quote, You hear this constant refrain from our critics that the Democrats don't stand for anything. That's really unfair. We do stand for anything. Well, we think it's pretty sad, but we'll leave off presidential politics for, uh, to, for another day. Uh, but things are heating up on the local front, and we are unable to, uh, to not remark on the fact that uh, Phil Angelides uh, received here in the Democratic Party's conference in Sacramento last week their nod as the, uh, the party's choice to run against Arnold Schwarzenegger in November. Steve Wesley has surged uh, to the lead uh, among the Democratic Party uh, people polled anyway, um, and it seems to be hanging on to that despite the fact that there seems to, there's outrage on the part of the um, the Angelides camp that Wesley is, uh, according to them, trying to buy the election. They had their hearts set on buying the election, and Steve uh, Steve Wesley is upsetting all their plans. Of course, when it looked as though uh, Phil Angelides was falling far behind, uh, Angelo Sakopoulos uh, stepped in to basically contribute $5 million, along with his daughter, to the committee that was backing Phil Angelides. Wesley's people are asking the state's political watchdog agency to investigate whether Angelo Sakopoulos broke state election laws. Wesley's attorney, Ronald Tarofsky, charged that Sakopoulos appeared to be acting as, quote, an agent, unquote, on behalf of the Angelides campaign, when he and his daughter, Eleni Sakopoulos Koulanakis, put up the money for pro-Angelides television commercials aired by a political committee representing firefighters and law enforcement. According to Sakopoulos attorney Ben Davidian, there was no coordination whatsoever with the Angelides campaign and Mr. Sakopoulos' contribu- contributing to this committee. 
We at Radio Parallax remain unsure as to where Sokopolis Attorney Davidian stands on the issue of whether the Baby Ruth candy bar was named after the baseball slugger. It should be noted for the record that under state campaign laws, individuals can contribute only $22,300 per election to gubernatorial candidates. But they can contribute an unlimited amount to an independent campaign committee so long as the committees aren't working in concert with the candidate or campaign team. Angelides campaign manager Kathy Calfo said in a statement that Sokopoulos isn't a campaign chair, but is one of hundreds of supporters who are considered part of an honorary finance council. According to lawyer Davidian, Sokopoulos, chairman of AKT Development, and his daughter, the company president, were contacted by Californians for Better Government and... After hearing the group's pitch, decided it was an appropriate opportunity to boost Angelides. Now at Radio Parallax, we assume that these statements made by the Sokopoulos attorney passed what uh, our own legal representative Stuart Gardner has pointed out is the mirror test, which they teach you in law school, which is if you can look in the mirror and offer the argument with a straight face, well, then you may be able to get away with it with, uh, in the courtroom or media setting. All right, we are pretty disgusted, uh, to say the least, with the both uh, both of the major parties. But, you know, there are some alternatives out there, among them the Green Party. And we would like to, at this point, talk to someone who's vying for the Green Party candidacy uh, locally. And we'll, we'll, we'll let him tell you about it. He's uh, well known to you, KDVS's own Jeff Kravitz. Welcome back, Jeff. Hey, how are you? We're fine. Tell us about your candidacy. You're, of course, first of all, mention the fact that you're not on the air because you've decided that's a conflict of interest. Oh, well, there's, yeah, of course, KDVS is a public station, doesn't make endorsements, can't uh, make any urgence for people to vote for anybody or anything like that, and that's the only thing that I'd want to do if I was on the air right now. So uh, I didn't think that was a proper thing to do for KDVS. Fair enough. Owned by the University of California. Fair enough. Now, uh, you are the Green... Ca- tell, tell us about your candidacy. Yeah, I am the Green Party candidate for Congress in the 5th Congressional District, running against uh, Doris Matsui, the incumbent. Uh, As some of you might know, uh, Ms. Matsui is the wife of uh, the late Robert Matsui, who was the congressperson here for 20 years. Uh, He passed away at the beginning of 2005, quite suddenly, actually. I think it was on New Year's Day. And uh, then she ran in a special election and won. Um, and um, I'm running against her uh, as the Green Party nominee uh, in this area because I uh, have the endorsement of uh, Julie Padilla and Pat Drixel and uh, Leonard Padilla also. So my endorsements and those voters actually make me the only serious candidate running against Doris Matsui. Are, are you liter- uh, Really? Yeah. So the Republicans are not even putting anybody No, they out. have a candidate. The Republicans yeah. have a candidate, but the combined vote total of the Republican candidates in the runoff was less than the combined vote total of those three people that I just spoke about, uh, the two Padillas and uh, Drixel. Wow. Yeah. So it's going to be you. It's going to be you against Doris in, in the fall. Correct, yes. I mean, there was a candidate from the Libertarians, the Republicans, the Peace and Freedom Party, but I think that the, there's no question that the, the way we're going to shape the campaign, I will be the... Uh, the main contender against uh, Doris Matsui, which is logical in the district that is supposedly, she wins 68% of the district, so you'd imagine it's a district with a large uh, bent on the progressive side, we would think, except, you know, the Democratic Party has steadfastly refused to be a 
Progressive Party for uh, quite some time. I, I, I sincerely believe it's been since June of 1968 when Senator Kennedy was assassinated. Um, but uh, certainly uh, in, in recent memory, they have not been a progressive party. Not the, I mean, there are some members of the party who are decent people. Uh, Senator Feingold, for example, he's a fine person. Um, but then you have the leadership is completely bankrupt. Uh, I, I, I'm on this email list, and I got one from the Democratic senatorial campaign from Charles Schumer. And the only thing that they could say about the war was about the fact that our troops went to battle without uh, proper um, uh, protective vests. Right, not of qu- course, right, not questioning the war, only they, no, didn't, they didn't have good enough all. equipment, right. I mean, and obviously, you know, that is part of the overall reason that, the, you know, what happened in the war was wrong, undoubtedly, was the lack of planning and, and so forth. But the question is, what are you going to do now? And the Democratic Party refuses to say the simple thing. As a party, as I said, individual members of the party say this, but as a party, they refuse to say that it is time to withdraw from Iraq immediately, because it is. Uh, they, For the most part, the leadership of the Democratic Party, especially the worst member of the party, the arch-conservative right-winger, uh, as far to the right as it comes, Hillary Clinton, who is the single worst member of the Democratic Party, um, it is vile to think that she actually holds the seat that uh, Robert Kennedy once held. She is the single worst member of the United States Senate, uh, reprehensible, awful, uh, terrible, essentially a Republican. Um, I can't say enough bad things about Hillary Clinton. I don't. I, I don't have well, that many words in my vocabulary. Well, Jeff, what is uh, what is? We got a minute. We got we got a minute here. What's what's your main thrust of your campaign going to be? Well, of course we're we're you know we're against the war and we're in favor of the impeachment of President Bush. Bush has to be impeached. Uh, he has to be impeached to restore the. You know, I'm a professor of constitutional law. Uh, and of course, we need national health insurance. We don't need that. We don't need uh, some band-aid program of uh, a nickel here more for drug benefits or this, that, the next thing, or making more people eligible. We need the immediate enactment of a single-payer system, like they have everywhere in the world, that covers everyone. Universal health care coverage, not means-tested, as a, the beginning health care coverage, the same program that the late Paul Wellstone endorsed and so forth. We need to do that immediately. It's a major crisis in the country. We need to immediately withdraw our troops from Iraq. What that means is that tomorrow you have the troops return to their bases. Uh, then within a week or so, you begin withdrawing them logistically through the area uh, and, and, and so forth. And we uh, extricate ourselves completely from the uh, civil war in Iraq. American troops in Iraq are the fuel of the civil war. We are the reason that there's a war in Iraq is the presence of the American soldiers there because they give everyone an easy target. They, they destroy any legitimacy of any Iraqi government is destroyed by the presence of the American troops because people can point to them and say that the government is a stooge of the American occupiers. It has to happen immediately. And Bush has committed an impeachable offense. He has violated the law of the United States, the Foreign Intelligence Security Act. He's committed other impeachable offenses, but it needs to happen, and it needs to happen uh, immediately. Jeffrey, no need to wait. 
Jeffrey Kravitz, local attorney, local activist. He teaches constitutional law in law school, and he's vying for uh, the Green Party nomination to run against Dorrance. Oh, one, one important thing to say now, www.kravitzforcongress.org. I'm glad you slipped that Kravitz in. Kravitz for Congress, the word for spelt out, F-O-R, kravitzforcongress.org. Check it out. You can see, hear my stand on the issues. You can see some of my recent speeches that I've given. And, uh, of course, if people want to, they could contribute to the campaign. He, he was the former host of... Uh, Panic Attack. Uh, Panic Attack, every Tuesdays at 5 o'clock on KDVS, and uh, I w- I wouldn't, I'd wouldn't. i bet money that someday he will be back. Jeffrey well, we'll Kravitz. See. No, I think I'm, I'm going, planning on being in Washington, but maybe I can do both. Well, I, we'll I, I, I stand corrected. You can do the show from D.C. That, that'd be cool. Okay. All right. All right, Jeff, thanks. We'll talk Thank to you, you soon. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. All right, and speaking of the, the mirror test, we should, we should note... In fact, let's move up the obituaries. We normally do obituaries in our third segment. We have... Uh, a couple today that I think we'll do right now. The first is the passing of uh, long-time Sacramento defense attorney Kevin Climo, who defended some of the region's most notorious criminals, including the Unabomber. Mr. Climo passed away uh, Wednesday at a Sacramento hospital. Climo, who frequently said, criminal defense is not what I do, it's what I am, brought a relentless style into the courtroom that legal colleagues said paid off for infamous defendants such as Unabomber Ted Kaczynski and Dorothea Puente. The grandmotherly rooming house owner, who during the 1990s buried some of her boarders in the yard and filched their government checks. I remember driving through downtown Sacramento and seeing Mr. Climo's uh, distinctive handlebar mustache standing on the side with a briefcase going uh, to and fro among the courts. I'd seen him recently on Barbara Walters on one occasion, and I just had to marvel at his ability to pass the mirror test. When he told the nation and Barbara Walters that the reason Dorothea Puente had had seven bodies dug up from her yard, uh, boarders who apparently had passed away, whom, uh, whom she had taken it upon herself to cash their checks for many months afterwards, well, that situation was one where she'd just shown bad judgment. She wasn't a murderer. What had happened was these people had just died, and she thought, let's save the taxpayers some money here in Sacramento. I'll just take care of the problem myself. So she buried seven people in her flower beds. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you, Kevin Climo looked Barbara Walters right in the face and said that and clearly passed the mirror test. Said the Sacramento Superior Court Judge Thomas Cecil, Climo was a passionate advocate who zealously guarded his client's rights. And last week, John Kenneth Galbraith passed away at age 97. Galbraith was the author of The Affluent Society, a book which uh, transformed how Americans thought about themselves, how we thought about our economic um, situation. Apparently, as a young man, uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy uh, took uh, Professor Galbraith's classes when he was at Harvard. When he later ran for Congress, he sought the advice of of John Kenneth Galbraith and would actually rely upon him uh, for uh, the remainder of his political career. Galbraith uh, offered such opinions as the fact that uh, capitalism was something of a myth, that in fact uh, the truly powerful were operating uh, as a law unto themselves. Noting that the 1,000 largest American corporations dominated both our economy and our social life. 
Giant corporations essentially operated free from competition, he said, often turning out frivolous goods for an increasingly consumer-minded society, while the capitalist economy ignored more pressing social needs. Americans still have an extraordinary capacity to ignore poverty, Galbraith told an interviewer in 1983. Not noted for being a reserved individual, uh, sitting um, framed in his office in, in Cambridge was Galbraith's first rule, modesty is a vastly overrated virtue. Galbraith strove to perfect his prose, reworking each passage up to five times. It was usually on about the fourth day that I put in that note of spontaneity for which I'm known, he once admitted. Not everybody agreed with Galbraith. One critic once said he was hard to take, but worth taking. His books, the affluent society in particular, not only changed the way the country viewed itself, but gave new phrases to the language, conventional wisdom, the bland leading the bland, private, private opulence and public squalor. Said Amartya Sen, an Indian economist, that reading that book was like reading Hamlet. You realize where all the quotations come from. John Kenneth Galbraith was one of America's best-known liberals, and he never shied away from the label. There's no hope for liberals if they seek only to imitate conservatives, and no function either, Galbraith wrote in a 1992 article in Modern Maturity. In private matters, he was not partisan and could count Bill Buckley, the conservative intellectual, among his closest friends. In the local bookstore in Gustad, where they both went skiing, they would battle to get their books the best spot in the window. At any rate, he was a giant on the American political scene, and he is now gone at age 97. One little footnote I saw in the biographies about him was that he got a doctorate in agricultural economics from UC Berkeley in 1934, which makes me suspect that uh, a man studying agricultural economics must have at least once in a while left the farm in Berkeley to go out and inspect uh, uh, their uh, land here in the Central Valley, which, of course, is today the University of California, Davis. I'm hoping that some local historian can confirm that for us and let us uh, know by dropping a line to info at radioparallax.com where you will find uh, 140 of our last program's uh, podcast on the site. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. Check my 